uh, I'm calling The Encouraging Word. Uh, if you recall, uh, two weeks ago, I guess it was, we, we started and um, <clears throat> I talked about a, um, this, this notion that sometimes we just don't have the words to express uh, what's happening uh, in our own lives. Uh, there's even a term for it, alexithymia. Uh, and this, it's this idea that you're experiencing, maybe it's an emotion, maybe it's just a, um, whatever it is you're going through, and, and you simply can't get out what you need to get out of yourself. And my uh, thought bubble was, uh, well, what if in those moments we allow uh, the Word of God itself uh, to speak our words, the words that resonate uh, with our heart. And so I encouraged you all to send me passages uh, of, uh, of passages in Scripture that indeed do this for you and that you've come back to time and time again and uh, that, that speak words when you don't have the word or, or speak some, some kind of encouragement uh, in your time of need. And, um, and then I called the men out because they didn't do it. Uh, and then, uh, just so you know, the men did uh, rise up to the challenge. I'm still taking uh, people's uh, requests or taking people's um, passages and verses, uh, so please uh, continue to send those to me. I, I love hearing them. I've probably received about like 15 or maybe even a more, and remarkably, <clears throat> there has been only one repeat uh, in all of the passages that have been sent to me, which you might think like there'd be a lot of the same thing coming over and over again, but there's actually uh, quite a lot of passages within our scriptures that you all uh, find encouraging. So this morning's uh, was one of the repeats, uh, the Alexanders sent it, uh, but then also uh, Corey Ripka, who's going to read uh, our passage and offer a reflection now, uh, Corey is not here, uh, and she's going to give it to us uh, on, on the video. I recorded her uh, this past Wednesday, and um, I think it's okay that I say this. I was, uh, she was a little nervous, as most people are when they, they do some public speaking, and, uh, and it was this wonderful opportunity that she and I had together, uh, where she'll mention it uh, as she's going through it, where... Um, she doesn't tell the story, but she, uh, she had been practicing some, some like deep breathing exercises, uh, and she sees uh, in this moment, uh, this was a number of weeks ago now, uh, these uh, eagles soaring, or an eagle rather, soaring through the sky and is just getting closer and closer. And it's this passage in her mind that has meant so much to her, you know, the soaring eagle. Uh, and as she's uh, calming herself and finding herself in God's presence. And I, I found it beautiful. So on Wednesday, as we were uh, going through it, uh, I, I say, Corey, let's, let's stop. Let's do some deep breathing. And so, uh, so we do. And uh, anyway, uh, she, she has done a wonderful job. So uh, let's listen to Corey. Everybody, my name is Corey Ripka. And um, when Pastor Eric asked for uh, your favorite scripture reading, uh, I sent him Isaiah 40, verse 31. And it's the one that says, But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary and walk and not faint. And I've always looked with wonder at what a soaring, circling bird sees uh, 
and depending on my mood, um, it's the site sparks philosophical or religious or patriotic thoughts, especially if it's a bald eagle. And I went so far as to try and remind myself of this to put MTY WNGS on my license plate. Um, so to remind myself that when I do consistently wait upon the Lord uh, through prayer, devotionals, daily self-care habits, even deep breaths in and deep breaths out, um, it gives me renewed hope. And uh, today I'm going to be reading, our scripture reading for today is Isaiah 27 through 31. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even you shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's begin with prayer. <clears throat> God, as we come this morning, we uh, ask that you uh, help us. Help us to put aside all those things that are distracting us right now the things in our mind that are keeping us somewhere else, anywhere else, but here, but in your presence. And God, fill us with your spirit. Help us to hear your word this morning, a word we've probably heard before, but that so many of us need to hear again and again, and help us to hear it anew. And may we trust this morning that indeed you do teach us and you help us to soar on the wings of eagles. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Um, I found a quote this week that I, I rather liked. Uh, it's by a, a, a poet. I actually was surprised to hear it was a poet who wrote this. Um, but uh, the guy's name is Carl Sandberg. Uh, and he says that, um, I quote, There is an eagle in me that wants to soar. And there is a hippopotamus in me that wants to wallow in the mud. <laughs> and I thought, that is also me. <laughs> the, I have this eagle in me that desperately wants to soar, right? Uh, and some days that's who you get. And that's who my friends get. And that's who my family gets. And uh, I'm, I'm very proud of those days. And then... There are days where in me there is a hippopotamus, and I'd just much rather be wallowing in the mud, right? And who is, who's going to come out today? Is it the eagle, or is it the hippopotamus? Who are you going to get, right? I want to start uh, and, and walk through our, our verse today from Isaiah chapter 40. 
Uh, Isaiah, this is the end of the, the chapter. Uh, hopefully you got one of these as you walked in. It's the, the verse of the day. I continue to uh, offer them to you uh, so that you take them home, that you put them somewhere, uh, put it somewhere where you'll, you'll see it uh, on a regular basis and that it might give you encouragement throughout the week. Isaiah 40 uh, begins this way, or at least chapter 40, verse 27 begins this way. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Um. In case you don't quite understand what that's saying, Jake, first of all, Jacob and Israel is the same thing. It's, it's kind of this poetic doubling that's, that's happening here. And the, the prophet is coming to a people group and saying, why are you saying this thing, right? Why are, why are you speaking this, this thing? And what are they saying? Well, they're saying that God's forgotten me. God doesn't see me anymore. My way is hidden from the Lord, is what they are saying, and my right is disregarded by my God. That's what they're saying. Now, I don't know about you. Maybe you've never said these words before, but you might be asking, like the prophet is, why are you saying these things, Israel? And I want to answer that legitimate question as a legitimate question, rather than treat it as a a condemnation of these people. I want to treat it as a real question. Why might Israel be saying these things in this passage? I think they have a reason why they're probably saying these things in this passage right here. You see, they've been in exile for 70 years They were taken from Israel, their land, and shipped off all the way to the other side of the world to Babylon. And they're sitting in Babylon, and they're probably maybe a few hippopotamus or hippopotami uh, among them saying, I just want to wallow in the mud. And they might have some good reason, don't they? They do have some good reason. They've lost a lot in their lives. They've lost a lot. I don't know about you. Uh, I've had loss and grief throughout my life at various points. And I imagine most of us have. If you live long enough, you simply do. It's part of the nature of life, right? Is losing things and grieving things. But these people, as a people, have had tremendous loss. And so they have been spending the last 70 years of their lives in exile, waiting for God to do something. And they're feeling in this moment that my way is hidden from the Lord, and that my right is disregarded by my God. A few of the things that have happened to them, of course, include things like Well, the Babylonians destroyed their temple. I don't know what that means to you, but what it means to them or meant to them is that that place where they experienced God was utterly destroyed and laid to waste. That place that was set aside, that was was the place they could go and find sanctuary, 
and find healing and find the presence of the Lord, that was destroyed. If you could just simply put yourself in their shoes for a moment, that alone might undo you on some level and might cause you to say, God, why have you hidden yourself from me? Why have you forgotten about me? But it's more than that, right? It's not only that the temple was destroyed, they're literally homeless. Their homes have been taken away from them. Or really, more truthfully, they've been taken away from their homes. All of those things that they worked hard for in their homes and on their land and the vineyards they built and and the, the farms that they tilled, it's all been taken away. And they've been shipped halfway across the world. And they were once a people, and now they're feeling less and less like a people. They felt quite a lot of loss and grief and probably so much that it seemed too hard to bear. They witnessed the deaths of their family, their friends, their jobs, their land, their houses. And ultimately, they became slaves to another empire. If you were to just simply put yourself in their shoes for a minute... In that context, we might rightly understand why they would be crying out, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. I think they have a legitimate complaint. But just because a complaint is legitimate doesn't make it something else. Doesn't, doesn't make it the right thing to do. It doesn't make it okay then to stay as the hippopotamus wallowing in the mud that has been created in your life, whether you created it or someone else created it. That is not where God desires for us to remain. And so the prophet does what a good prophet does, and he tries to envision for them a new reality. The job of the prophet is to come to a people and to say, thus says the Lord, right? Have you heard, you've surely heard this phrase from the Bible, thus says the Lord. This is a prophetic phrase. It It is God speaking through the prophet to the people. And his job is... Multifaceted, of course, but it is, uh, if, if it's one thing, it's to persuade these people. It's to persuade them that he is indeed speaking the truth of the Lord. And to persuade, well, it requires something entirely different than just simply speaking the truth. If you get on social media, uh, name any social media, you find a lot of people speaking truth to each other, or maybe at each other, really, uh, but you find very little persuasion happening on social media, right? Persuasion happens in a different sort of way, and this is what I see our prophet doing. Persuasion requires, well, a First and foremost, a certain amount of mystery is involved. Uh, you're never really sure if the persuasion is going to work. 
if I go to a friend and I, I speak some sort of truth into his life or her life, it's never really clear if that person will just simply latch on to it and move on with life, right? And, and be, become a different person for it. Or if they'll reject it altogether. That's a, a pretty common uh, thing to do with truth because they don't see it as truth. So we must start with the fact that there is some amount of mystery happening and God at work in mysterious places in someone's life. But more than that, I think persuasion requires relationship. The prophet here isn't just speaking from on high and telling the people, here's what to do. He's living this with them. He knows them, they know him, and they know that he is trustworthy and that he is indeed a man of God and that God is capable of speaking through him. And so their ears are attentive and they listen up. There's a famous uh, quote that always comes to mind. Uh, well, not, it comes to my mind at various times. It's, uh, it's Emily Dickinson's poem, uh, Tell all the truth, but tell it slant, is what she says. Success in circuit lies. Do you know this? Have you ever heard this? Tell all the truth, but tell it slant. Um, I think there's, there's truth in this truth-telling. And the truth that uh, we see here and that the prophet is, is usually pretty good at is you don't always want to tell the truth straight on, right? Because what happens? The poem goes on and actually says that if you, if you look at truth straight on, you tend to get blinded by it and you tend not to receive it. But a good prophet, somebody who persuades manages to tell truth on the slant, from different angles, and comes at these people uh, and, and comes to them with a, a variety of truths in a variety of ways. And then it's the next line, though, that really captures me in, in this and, and that I've experienced in reality uh, and in my life a lot, is that success in circuit lies. And the idea is that you've got to come back to it again and again and again. How many of us have ever said, I learned that truth 30 years ago, but I've had to learn it again, and I've had to learn it again, right? Like, I mean, this is how truth works. You don't just simply hear it, adopt it, and then uh, you've downloaded it into your system, and then it, you're, right? You have, to, you have to kind of sit with it, and you have to learn it. And you might have to hear it like five, six, seven, eight times before you finally say, yeah, this is not only right, this is not only true, but this is something that should change my life. I should be different because of it. And so with this, telling the truth slant requires a certain care, a certain understanding of who I'm speaking to and who you're speaking to as you tell your truths to other people and as you care for them in life. It's not enough to just simply tell the truth. We're commanded by Scripture to tell the truth in love, right? 
Sometimes we're really good at the truth part, but not the in love part. And holding these two things together, as Emily Dickinson says, on the slant. And so there's care in the way we speak to one another, and there's repetition. If you've ever had a hard conversation with somebody, you might remember that they didn't accept what you had to say at first, right? And maybe to flip the script a little bit, you didn't accept what they had to say at first. And then as the circuit happens and the repetition happens, they realize, and maybe you realize, that something needs to change, that I need to think differently in this life and about this issue. And that yes, indeed, I am in Babylon and have been for 70 years, but you know what? There's another way of looking at this matter. There's another way of thinking about this thing. Which gets us to the final piece of persuasion, which also happens to be the piece that the prophet encourages the people toward, and that is is patience. The prophet knows that he needs patience for these people to accept the word that God is giving them. And those people need some patience as they are waiting on the Lord. The truth is rarely accepted at first pass particularly when the lived reality of an individual says something different. And so I might feel like it's always going to be this way. It has been for 70 years, and it's going to be for the rest of my life and the life after that. Or maybe the truth that you've lived is, I'm not good at X, Y, or Z. Or maybe this is simply too difficult. I just can't take it anymore. Or it's not fair. (laughs) We hear our little ones say this routinely, but how many of us say this also? It's not fair. This should not have happened. I don't deserve to be in Babylon just because my parents or their parents did something foolish in life, right? And so at this point, we have the choice. Do we want to be the eagle or the hippo? Do we want to stay wallowing in the mud and say, sure enough, it's always going to be this way. I'm not good at X, Y, Z. It's too difficult and life's just not fair. Again, you may have legitimate reasons to say all of these things. And that hippo sitting inside of you is very comfortable in the mud. Or, there is also that eagle within you. And will you allow that eagle to do what eagles are meant to do, which is to rise above it all and to soar 
And so this is what the prophet continues to say. He says, have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord, Yahweh, is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. Which is, by the way, to say, not only did he create Babylon and Israel, he created everything farther east and everything farther west. He's the creator of it all. And he has all of this in his sights. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. What he knows, what he understands, what he can see, what he's capable of is unsearchable. And the prophet has to come along and say this a few times, right? It's unsearchable, unsearchable. And by the way, we're, we're, at, we're at the tail end of a chapter, and the whole chapter has kind of been saying the same thing over and over again. And Scripture says this sort of thing in many, many other places. In fact, this phrase, his understanding is unsearchable, I would say is the book of Job in a nutshell, right? You get to the, toward the end of Job, and he finally meets God, and God says, look, my ways are unsearchable, right? I was there to create it all. The business about God not fainting or growing weary is, uh, is interesting because this actually sets up the problem that the uh, Israelites have here, and maybe it's a problem that you and I have as well. You see, it seems like God is the one who might be faint or might grow weary, but the prophet makes very clear that that's not the case at all. God is not capable of fainting or growing weary. The real problem is, is who fainting or growing weary? It's, it's us, right? We're the ones who tire over time. And so this phrase, or these two words, faint and weary, they show up multiple times, seven total uh, in combination, over the next three verses. And so he says this, in verse 29, he gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. And the prophet comes and he says, I know it seems like it's not fair. And I know that it is, uh, you feel like it's always going to be this way. I know that it feels too difficult. And you don't believe you're good at whatever it is. But God, the God of creation, the God who created all things, well, he does not faint or grow weary, and he, in fact, gives his power to the faint and to the one who has no might, who is not capable of doing the things he wants to do or she wants to do. He offers that up to you. And in verse 30, he says, even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. Uh, I, of course, here think immediately of my own children and watching them play. It seems like they can never grow weary, right? They're, they're just, just balls of energy, just constantly in motion until the evening hits, and then it's crash, right? 
God is not all that different from the energy of the youth, is what the prophet is saying. He is capable of being in motion constantly. Only he doesn't get to the end of the day and crash. He only continues, right? And he continues on your behalf and on my behalf. And in verse 31 continues, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And there it is, the passage we all love. And for good reason, right? This is indeed encouraging. Here, the prophet is reminding us of what sits within us thanks be to God, is that eagle. We don't have to be the hippo wallowing in the mud. We can be this eagle who rises up with the strength of the Lord and soars above whatever it is that is happening. But he makes very clear how we do this. And and this is the part that is a little uncomfortable, I guess. It's not just that you do it. It's, as he says in the beginning of 31, those who wait for the Lord. Those who wait for the Lord. And uh, it's the waiting part that really gets us down, doesn't it? I, uh, I heard a quote uh, just this past week uh, that says that God is always on time, but rarely is he early, right? God's always on time, but rarely feels like he's early to something. It feels like you're waiting, and then when God arrives, you know, yes, indeed, this is the time that this was supposed to happen. But the waiting, well, we like our microwaves, don't we? And we like the fast lane, and we like things to happen at the speed that we get to go at, and we like our jet planes. We like all the things uh, of our modern conveniences that make things faster and faster and faster than they've ever been in our lives in the course of history. But sometimes we just have to slow ourselves down and slow down the world around us and simply wait on the Lord. And so, to conclude here... <clears throat> I offer you a few things to do while waiting on the Lord. Since this is the hard part, you might want to fill your time with a few extra things while you're waiting those 70 years in exile for God to come and to rescue you from Babylon and to pull you out back into the land where he promised that you would be. So what should we do? Another passage I was sent was from John 14, 1. Chuck Wood sent this. And this passage says from Jesus' lips to my ears and yours, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Believe in God, which is to say, have faith in God, which is to say, what I said last week, trust, trust in God. And trust also in Jesus, 
and wait patiently for the Lord. And so number one, things to do while waiting starts with learning trust, learning belief, learning faith, all of these things wrapped together, right? The second thing to do while waiting on the Lord would be to remember. Remember. Remember how God has seen you through tough times in the past. Remember that God loves you and is for you. Remember that God sent his son on your behalf. Remember what my friend reminded me of a number of weeks ago, that Jesus doesn't just love you, Jesus likes you. <laughs> God likes you. Who you. He created you who you are. So remember. The third thing here to do while waiting would be to be honest. Be honest about your circumstances. Yes, you might be in the mud. But allow others to speak a word of truth back into that circumstance. And while it's okay to say, yeah, I'm feeling like there's a lot of mud around here these days, it would be helpful to realize that there are other perspectives out there and to hear the truths that others want to speak into your life that might allow you to actually stand up and walk out of it. Which gets to the fourth point, which is to keep moving. Keep moving. Don't just swallow, right? Don't do the hippopotamus thing, but to keep moving. And it might feel like you're just sloshing around in mud, but at some point, you're going to find your way out of exile and back toward the promised land. But you're never going to find yourself there if you simply sit and don't move. So keep moving. And then the fifth and final thing. And this is something that I've been working on that I think some of us come by naturally and others of us have to do uh, with purpose. And that is to connect with one another. Connect with one another. You are not meant to suffer in silence. Whatever it is, whatever that mud is, whatever that exile is, you are not meant to suffer that alone. Talk to somebody. Talk to a body of believers. That's why we have each other. Maybe talk to a therapist. Maybe talk to somebody who is a life coach, who is trained to, to speak into these sorts of issues. At least simply talk to a friend. And don't suffer in silence. I'm going to conclude by reading our passage one more time through. <clears throat> and as I do, I want you to take a minute. I want you to think about your own life. I want you to think about what's going on in your life. Is there a place where you're saying to God, God, where are you? And I want you to hear these words. Why do you say, O South Run Baptist Church, 
Why do you speak, SRBC? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Don't you know? Haven't you heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He doesn't faint, and he doesn't grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they, they who wait for the Lord, you, you who wait for the Lord, you shall renew your strength, and you shall mount up with wings like eagles, and you shall run and not be weary, and you shall walk and not be faint. Let us pray together. God, we thank you for your encouraging word. We thank you for the prophet Isaiah who spoke those words thousands of years ago to a people far from us. But words like that resonate through the centuries, over time and space, over cultures, and they speak directly to our heart. You speak directly to our heart. And God, we thank you for that. May we be encouraged today. In Christ's name we pray, amen.